Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 154, air date August 8th, 2017. Okay, welcome again. We're redoing this because we had a problem with connection. Uh, but anyway, this is uh, the Systems Health Institute in Cambridge. But we're really focused on using systems approaches, holistic systems-based approaches to looking at all problems. And um, this institute really started in 2007 out of the recognition that Western medicine was really good at reductionism. You know, it understood parts really well, but the problem with uh, Western medicine was it wasn't good at prevention and looking at long-term solutions. Um, and my interest has been integrating both Eastern and Western medicine. One of the things I talked about earlier, some of you may have heard, is that uh, Western medicine really came out of wartime medicine. You know, in the 1800s, an amazing woman called Florence Nightingale, who people thought was fundamentally a nurse, was m far more than a nurse. She was a member of the Royal Society of Statistics, and Florence Nightingale really was the first person to understand that soldiers were not dying of wounds. This was in the Crimean War on the battlefield, but they were actually dying because the hospital that they came into didn't have proper care. And she had this vision of building the modern healthcare system. And what evolved out of that was what we see today. She's the one who made sure um, that the hospitals were cleaned up because her view was then medical professionals would come in and do research, that they would actually uh, do clinical research. And that's what gave rise to modern medicine. So Western medicine is great if you have a problem, steroids, antibiotics, surgeries, in my opinion, for fixing things after the fact. Eastern medicine is a little bit different. It really looks at the larger scale problems. And for me, this journey began for me in India. I actually grew up in Bombay, a city of many cultures, many castes, many religions. But I also grew up in a small village in deep South India. And in, in deep South India, um, uh, these are the scenes that you see here. Uh, these villages had no electricity, no uh, you know, uh, uh, running water. But that's where I grew up in that village. My grandmother was a poor village farmer. She would work 16 hours a day. And this is a picture of her in her Sunday best. And what's interesting uh, for me was that she actually practiced an Indian system of medicine. Again, briefly, we give a whole course at our System Health Institute. The next one, I believe, is on August 19th, where we discuss this. But to, just to give you an idea, uh, what you see here is in the Indian system of medicine, just like we have, for example, in the Bible, where we talk about in the beginning there was nothing, that's Purusha, which gave rise to Prakriti, which is energy, which gave rise to these subtle energies, which then gave rise to form, which is space, air, fire, water, and earth. And these gave rise to these very interesting words that we in the Western world might find sort of weird, Vata, Pitta, and Kapha. And these gave rise to tissues, which gave rise to the body. But in the Indian system of medicine, when an Indian healer looks at you, they actually observe your body as a system. And they try to figure out what, how, many, how much vatha do you have, pitta and kapha, and based on that, they try to figure out the right medicines for your particular body type. And this is a whole system of medicine that goes back to a system of what we call sages or scientists. And the original stuff was written in these palm leaf manuscripts, which the Indian government is dedicating a lot of effort to now recovering. But these people weren't just religious people by any means. They were actually rishis and scientists. My grandmother had the ability to observe your face and there's many methods of diagnosis and determine the amount of vatha or pitta or kapha in you. And then she would formulate particular medicines. This was personalized medicine. Um, so, I, so I learned this as a kid, but when I came to MIT, you know, I went through the Western medical, I went through the public school systems in New Jersey. 
as I mentioned earlier, went to MIT, did my engineering degree, but also did my PhD in biological engineering. And if you talk to any medical person or biologist, they actually understand these words, genes, proteins, metabolites, pathways. This is the language or the lingua franca of Western medicine. My interest was could I link this world and this world together? And that led, after I finished my PhD, I was very fortunate to win a Fulbright Award to go to India to study this. And this article, interestingly enough, came out on the front page of MIT, and it said East meets West, armed with four degrees, Shiva Iduri embarks on a new adventure. And I think MIT found this interesting because why would a guy with Western training want to go back to India? Well, the Western training I had heard, learned um, that I want to really focus in on was systems theory. You see, this is the back of a watch. Uh, the watch is a system, but it's composed of many, many different parts. Um, I asked earlier, what's this? And I shared, this is the engine of the space shuttle. This has millions of parts. The parts aren't the issue, but what emerges is this big engine. This is uh, a system. This is actually a city. This is a system. It's a human cell. This is a system. It's a robot. Now, the interesting thing is, if you look at all systems, Western systems theory tells us every system has an input, every system has an output. We have the transport or movement of information, matter, and energy. We have the conversion. We have the storage of it. So if you look at the light bulb in this room, the movement of electricity is the transport element. The conversion is the filaments which convert that electricity to heat, which give out photons, and the bulb essentially stores all that. Now we can get more interesting to what are called intelligent systems. So we have this base system here, but intelligent systems all begin with a goal. Many of you, if you came to this talk today, you started with a goal, uh, which is to obviously learn what's going on with the opioid crisis and what are the solutions. You look at the output of what I present based on using your mind and, and hearing, and then you make decisions whether you want to stay in the room and continue or whether you want to leave. But this is this process that all intelligent systems do. The thermostat in this room, for example, has a goal, as Alan can probably focus on right here, the 78 degrees. And then we look at the actual output, which is by the thermometer, and there's a controller in the basement which is actually determining, do I shut off the hot water or do I put more in? And based on that, the room gets warmer. And you do this.